In 2012, it was four years ago because we're just into 2017. 2012, um, in the summer, something, I don't remember who said it, but somebody in my house, uh, my daughter, my son-in-law, somebody, mentioned this really cool leather bag that they had learned about from a company called Saddleback Leather. And as I learned more about Saddleback Leather, I became enamored of the quality and the coolness. And I was always carrying stuff with me, wherever, my Bible, my iPad, cables, all this stuff. And it was like, you know what, if I could have one thing to carry it in, that would be so cool. But this stuff is expensive. I mean, and, and I put it on my Christmas wish list, not dreaming that I would actually get it. Because... To get this satchel, this leather satchel, was over $400. And I was like, ha oh. But I put it on my wish list, and then on Christmas morning, I opened up a package, and lo and behold, I got the satchel that I had asked for. And it was from everybody, but I know my wife put in most of the everybody. But I appreciated so much the love that I felt because of that gift. The thing that's so cool about Saddleback Leather, it's a mom-and-pop company. The, the, the guys, the people that run it are Christians. They run it on Christian principles. Some of the money that you give for the product actually goes to support villages in Africa and, and, and to spread the gospel. And so it's really cool what they do. Uh, but what's also really cool is that this company offers a 100-year guarantee on their, their product. And so... Um, I had a rivet pop loose a couple years ago, and I contacted the company, and I said, um, how does this work? And they said, well, let, what's your name? And I gave it to them. They said, what's your email? And I gave it to them. They said, we have no record of you ever purchasing one. Okay. And they said, well, no, how did you get it? And I told them it was a gift. He said, well, do you know who it was that bought it? And I found out that it was actually my son-in-law who put his name and email down when they made the purchase. So they looked up under his name and email, found the record, and then they linked my name with that purchase. So that now, forever and for always, it's my bag, and they know that I own it, and it was legally purchased, blah, 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 blah. And they replaced it. I mean, they replaced the rivet. You send it to them at their cost. They fix it. They send it back to you the whole time that it's with them. They're sending you little emails saying, your bag arrived safely today. And the technician is bathing it in oil and it's doing such a good... He's really enjoying his spa visits and blah, blah, blah. And then they send it back and, and it was great. It worked quite well. Well, I got this bag in the year 2012. Now, Saddleback Leather has been in operation for about almost... 12 years now, and in the early days, they used like dog leash clips, and then they went to lobster clips, which are kind of like this, and then in the year 2012, they went to like carabiner clips, but they screwed shut, okay, and then they found out that those carabiner clips, everyone hated them because they unscrewed, and you'd be carrying your bag and they would just flop off of your shoulder because the thing would just of itself unscrew. And so they went back to the dog leash clips. And I kind of was like, why did I have to get the stupid bag in 2012? Because I keep having this stupid thing fall off my shoulders and it drives me crazy, but I love my bag. Well, it's now 2016, late 16, early 17. And I'm, I'm online on a Facebook page about Saddleback Leather and people who know all about this stuff. And I'm learning about leather products. And I said something about those stupid clips from 2012. And the person said, well, contact the company. They'll replace it. They're not going to replace it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not broken. It just drives me crazy. 
I'll call him. So I did. I talked with their service representative, and the person said, what's wrong? And I told them, and they said, it's not broken? I said, no, it's just driving me nuts. They said, I'll send you a return authorization. We'll get that fixed for you. And so my strap right now is in Texas, being bathed in oil and having a spa. And they're replacing the, the carabiner style that's screw closed with the dog leash style. And I'll have my new to me, uh, well, the new clips will be on the, my old strap and I'll be back to carrying my bag again. And I was really amazed that this company would do that. I mean, could, could you, how many times over do they have to do that? There was really nothing wrong with the clip. It worked, it functioned, it wasn't broken, but they wanted to do what they felt was right by their customer, and so they just cost themselves the amount of money to ship it, the amount of money to fix it, and the amount of money to ship it back to me, because they wanted to keep a customer happy. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty cool. I'll tell people about that. And so they're getting free advertising from me as a result. Now, I tell you that story because I'm going to refer back to it in a couple of minutes. All right, let's move. We are going to be reading this morning out of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 um, is so cool and so profound. And I was reading it in different translations, and I opened up the message. How many of you know about the message written by Eugene Peterson? It's actually it's not a translation. It's a it's an it's an interpretation of. So it's not a word for word translation. What he did was he was a pastor, and his goal was to put. He was a Greek scholar, and he took the original language and put it into words that his own congregation would be able to understand. And so and then people found out about it, loved it, and ended up publishing it. And the message is so cool. What's really cool is if you want to copy the message and can't afford it, all you have to do is contact the message people, and they will send you a copy of the message for free. And if your message Bible ever gets damaged or destroyed or, or ruined, you just let them know, and they'll get you another one for free. That's a cool thing. But I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 43, all 28 verses out of the message. Now, some of you, it's helpful to you to listen by actually looking at words. And if that's helpful to you, great. But what I want you to do this morning is not so much focus on what's in front of you, but if, you, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes and focus on the way Eugene Peterson did this, wrote this. Eugene Peterson also, when he translated, the, or when he, when he did this paraphrase, he put, he put headings in. And the heading for Isaiah chapter 43 is when you're between a rock and a hard place. But now, God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, says, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I'm your God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich cush and saba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. 
I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. I would trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll round up all your scattered children, pull them in from east and west. I'll send orders north and south, send them back. Return my sons from distant lands, my daughters from faraway places. I want them back, every last one who bears my name. Every man, woman, and child whom I created for my glory. Yes, I personally formed and made each one. Get the blind and deaf out here and ready. The blind, though there's really nothing wrong with their eyes. And the deaf, though there's really nothing wrong with their ears. Then get the other nations out here and ready. And let's see what they have to say about this. How they account for what's happened. Let them present their expert witnesses and make their case. Let them try to convince us what they say is true. But you are my witnesses. God's decree. You're my hand-picked servant. So that you'll come to know and trust me, understanding both that that I am and who I am. Previous to me, there was no such thing as a God, nor will there be one after me. I, yes, I am God. I am the only Savior there is. I spoke, I saved, I told you what existed long before these upstart gods appeared on the scene. And you know it. You're my witnesses. You are the evidence. God's decree. Yes, I am God. I've always been God. No one can take anything from me. I make. Who can unmake it? The next heading that Gene Peterson put in was, You didn't even do the minimum. God, your Redeemer, the Holy of Israel says, just for you, I will march on Babylon. I'll turn the tables on the Babylonians. Instead of whooping it up, they'll be wailing. I am your God, your Holy One, Creator of Israel, your King. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves. The God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and they can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I am about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I am making a road through the desert. Rivers in the badlands. Wild animals will say, thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards, because I provided water in the desert. Rivers through the sun-baked earth. Drinking water for the people I chose. The people I made especially for myself. A people custom made to praise. But you didn't pay a bit of attention to me, Jacob. You so quickly tired of me, Israel. You wouldn't even bring sheep for offerings in worship. You couldn't be bothered with sacrifices. It wasn't that I asked that much from you. I didn't expect expensive presents. But you didn't even do the minimum. So stingy with me. So close-fisted. Yet you haven't been stingy with your sins. You've been plenty generous with them. And I'm fed up. But yes, but I, 
Yes, I am the one who takes care of your sins. That's what I do. I don't keep a list of your sins. So make your case against me. Let's have this out. Make your arguments. Prove you're in the right. Your original ancestors started the sinning, and everyone since has joined in. And that's why I had to disqualify the temple leaders and repudiate Jacob and discredit Israel. But for now, dear servant Jacob, listen. Yes, you, Israel, my personal choice. God who made you has, form, has something to say to you. The God who formed you in the womb wants to help you. Don't be afraid, dear servant Jacob, Jeshuan, the one I chose. For I will pour water on the thirsty ground and send streams coursing through the parched earth. And I will pour my spirit into your descendants and my blessing on your children. And they shall sprout like grass on the prairie, like willows alongside creeks. This one will say, I'm God's. Another will go by the name Jacob. That one will write on his hand, God's property, and be proud to be called Israel. God, King of Israel, your Redeemer, the God of angel armies, says, I am first. I am last, and I am everything in between. I am the only God there is. Who compares with me? Speak up. See if you measure up. From the beginning, who else has always announced what's coming. So what is coming next? Anybody want to venture a try? Don't be afraid. And don't worry. Haven't I always kept you informed and told you what's going on? You're my eyewitnesses. Have you ever come across a God, a real God other than me? There is no rock like me that I know of. That was Isaiah chapter 43 all the way through. And then Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 8. And the reason I read all the way through verse 8 is because scholars tell us that the division that you see in your Bible where it changes from 43 to 44 is simply for identification of verses and they really shouldn't have separated those at least first five verses from the previous verses in chapter 20 and 40, uh, 43. So it was important for you to read it and hear it all in one, one idea, one thought. There are a number of things you need to know just to understand what this is if you go back and read it for yourself. What in the world was he talking about when he said, I gave up Egypt and Cush and Seba? Any guess? God was referring back to the time of the Exodus. The Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And God literally took on the authority of Egypt, the power of Egypt, one of the great powers of the world at the time, and knocked them off their pedestal. Literally causing the deaths of the firstborn all throughout Egypt. Why? So that he could redeem his people and rescue his people from their captivity. Now, why is God referring to this in Isaiah 43? Because at this point in the prophecy, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, had been carried off into captivity into Babylon. And God is saying, I am still the same God today that I was when I first came into relationship with your father, Abraham. When I had relationship with Isaac. When I had relationship with Jacob. 
I have not changed. Nothing about me has changed. Nothing about the covenant that we have established has changed. I still demand of you that you be my people. I still demand of you that you confess your sins, you repent of your sins, that you make sacrifices to me for the propitiation of your sins. And you and your leaders refused. I sent Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of the other prophets to tell you to get your, fat, get your faces back before me in the proper way and to repent for your sins, and you didn't. And I had them declare that if you didn't, you were going to be pulled out of Israel, lose your possessions in the land. And that's exactly what has happened, O Israel. Now, these are all prophetic words. These are being written long before the event actually took place. And God is saying... Do, he's saying to the people of the future who are now in exile, he's saying, do not lose heart. I am the same yesterday and today and forever. And I will redeem you. I will rescue you. I will. I know Babylon looks like they are the great world power. And I know it looks like it's a hopeless case of you ever thinking about coming back. But you need to understand, Israel, I am God. There is no other God but me. And if you will just acknowledge that and recognize that and submit yourself back to me and make your life right. Yes, I understand that you can't offer sacrifices right now. I understand you can't get to the temple in Jerusalem. But the reality was when you had the temple, you weren't even doing it. Yeah, you went through the motions. But you didn't really mean it in the depths of your heart. Because if you did, we wouldn't be in this situation, folks. You wouldn't be in Babylon in exile because if you had been living the way you were supposed to live and honoring me with your life and sacrificing in the appropriate way, none of this would have come about. But the fact is it did. And the payment has been paid. And the promise is that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I am going to bring you back. Now, you need to understand the fearfulness of those words. We don't really have any understanding of what they were facing. Do you realize that from Babylon to Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas where these people had been exiled, they, could have, they would have had to travel upwards of 700 miles to get back to Jerusalem. Do you realize that that is a round trip from Two Rivers, Alaska to Anchorage, Alaska? Now imagine they didn't have planes, they didn't have cars, they didn't have railroads. If they were lucky, they might have a donkey or a camel, but most likely they were going to be walking that round trip through a desert with great fear of bandits who would come and, 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 and accost them or wild animals that would attack them. So God is saying, you guys got carried off. You're actually, your, aunts, your, your, your forefathers got carried off because it's been over 70 years now and you're going to be coming back. Some of you that are of young mind, young and able mind. You never even saw Jerusalem before. Because you're only 20 years old and your group has been in exile for 70. So the reality is, unless you're over 70 years old, you don't even know what Jerusalem looks like. But I'm calling you back. I am your God. I said I would do it. I am going to do it. And you need to trust and understand. But the reality you need to understand, folks, is that I am not just calling you back and saying, okay, come on back. But I am making a way for you as you come back. I'm going before you, and I've got your back as you're going. You don't have to worry about marauders. You don't have to worry about anything. I'm even going to provide water while you're in the desert. I'm going to make sure that you get back successfully. 
That's what Isaiah chapter 43 is talking about. And there were three major things that I think that God wants us to hear from this. And I'm going to focus on those three major things now that I've given you an overview. Number one, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. Let me read this to you now out of the um, English Standard Version. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. First of all, hear this. God has an intimate knowledge of his people. He created them. He formed them. Remember the image that I had you focus on of the potter's hand with the clay on the wheel? That type of intimacy, God said, I know you. I know you. I formed you. I created you. Fear not, because I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Remember that my prayer about the shepherd. How in the world could he, one shepherd look at the flock and know that one was missing? Because he knew the sheep so intimately. He could look and see the one with the little nick on the ears not around. And so he now recognizes that the one with the little nick on the ear has gotten off and away. And he's got to go find that one. He knows them so well that he can tell just by looking that they're off and about. God is saying to the Israelites, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. It's not a matter of, I'll be protecting you from afar. When you go through these hard times, I will be right there with you. When, and when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. See, now there's no promise that you're not going to have to go through the river. The promise is that God will be there with you, making sure that you're not overwhelmed as you pass through. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, cushion, save it in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west. I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give up to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar. Bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who called by my name, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, whom I made. What God is saying to the people of Israel in their time of distress, in their time of their exile is, I have made a promise the prophet said it was going to happen, and I'm going to make it happen. You will be released and redeemed when the time is right. And as you pass through the troubles, I'm not leaving you, but I'm walking there with you. I love the imagery that Eugene Peterson had of, I've got your back. As I prayed this week over somebody, I prayed, Lord, go before them. Walk with them. And stay behind them. In your omnipresence, do that, God. 
Completely surround them with who you were so that they will not have any reason to fear. And see, God whispered to me as I was preparing this, continue to remind them, I am the same yesterday and today and forever. There is nothing changed about the way that I relate to my people. I will walk with them. I will be in front of them. I will stay behind them. They have my protection. They have my word. They can know with assurance that they will not be forsaken. That's the number one. God loves you with an intimate love. He knows you, warts and all, and he loves you anyway. You've heard the term unconditional love. This intimate love is unconditional, but it's still intimate. You can literally stand naked before him without any fear of rejection. That is a powerful, powerful thought. The other thing I wanted to point out to us is found in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. God is saying to the people... You were not following, you were not doing, you were not living the way you were supposed to live. You literally wearied me, in Eugene Peterson's words, he said, I'm fed up with your sins. But verse 25, God says to the people of Israel, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. And I was intrigued by that phrase, for my own sake. See, God didn't say, I forgive you of your sins because you made the right sacrifices. I forgive you of your sins because you repented and turned from your sins. I forgive you of your sins because, he said, I'm doing it for me. Why would God want to forgive your sins for him? I would submit to you that he wants to forgive you of your sins for him because initially you were created because he wanted to have relationship with you. You're the one that broke the relationship. You're the one that can't fix the relationship because you don't have the power to forgive your own sins or have or do anything that would cause your sins to be forgiven. So God in and of himself chooses to forgive your sins. In their case, they couldn't get back to the temple. They couldn't do animal sacrifice as it's recorded in the in the Pentateuch. All they could do was hope for mercy and grace and that's exactly what they got. God said through the prophet Isaiah, when the time comes and you get called back, we're going to be in right relationship. Not because you do anything, but because I'm doing this for me, because I want to be in relationship with you. It's called, in, 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 some, in some theological terms, I can liken it to prevenient grace. God so loved you so much that even before... Even before you were aware of who he was, he was wooing you and drawing you. Why? Because he wants to be in relationship with you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He breathed life into you. He saw you as 
as you grew up and as you grew farther and farther away from him because of your willfulness, but he's wooing you back into relationship. And if you will respond, blessing upon blessing, power, glory, and everything else that comes with it. But it's for a purpose. It's not just for the blessing. It's not just for the intimacy. It's not just so you feel good. But it's so that they will be witnesses to the world around them. There are two different sections in Isaiah chapter 43 that have a courtroom sense. And we don't have time this morning to go back and look at it. We've read it a couple times. But you can go back and look at it this week. And God is calling forth the witnesses and saying, Okay, you bring bring forth your witnesses. My people will be my witnesses. And we're going to see who's the real God. The whole purpose of God draw, not uh, the whole purpose of God creating you, breathing life into you, and then wooing you back when you strayed, even before you knew who He was or knew of His love. The whole purpose was intimacy with God, intimate love and fellowship, and witness. Jesus' last command to his apostles after he spent more than three years pouring his life into them, discipling them, training them, was, I'm leaving. I won't be back until the Father says, it's time for me to come back. I'll be praying for you, but I'm handing it off to you now. You will be empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do the work that I'm leaving in your hands and the work is that you are to be my witnesses. Not only here, but in the outlying areas, even to the uttermost ends of the earth. I'm leaving everything in your care. You've probably heard the story. Jesus gets back up into heaven and, Jesus, and the angel says, well, did you successfully complete your plan? He said, well, I, I, I completed it as far as I could take it. The rest of it's in the hands of the people I left behind. And the, the angel said, but Lord, what happens if they fail? What, what's plan B? And the Lord looked at the angel and said, there is no plan B. That's the plan. I laid it out. I showed them. God the Father called me back. And it's now in their hands to win the rest of the world. So that my kingdom could be advanced. So that when I come back, there'll be somebody here to worship with me and to to have fellowship and intimacy with. And the reason I really feel strongly about this, and I shared this a little bit last week as well, the reason I feel strongly about this is we've just spent the last hour plus, hour and a half almost, loving on God, experiencing His love, experiencing the joy and the blessings of being in His presence and worshiping together as a body of of believers and just oh it was glorious and it was but did it advance the kingdom of God did it help anyone who lives next door to you to know that Jesus loves them did it help them to experience his glory did it help them to recognize that they are sinful and that they are in need of a savior and I would submit to you that unless they listen to this service online which most of them probably will never do, they'll never know. They'll never know of the glory of being in the presence of the Almighty for an hour worshiping Him, loving on Him and feeling His love. Unless someone tells them. 
you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I would submit the two rivers is pretty close to the ends of the earth. <laughs> See, and I don't want to make you feel bad, but the problem with most Christians in our culture is they never get past the intimacy and the grace. They love to be able to stand up and say, I have been saved by grace. I have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I have been empowered. I'm living a holy and pure life and I have a deep, rich, intimate love for God and God's love for me is experienced on a moment-by-moment basis. But think how many of you can put a, can, can show the marks on your, on your saddle or on your, holst, on, your, on your handle of your gun saying, I got another one. Got another one for Jesus. I got another one for Jesus. Honestly, I can tell you in my case, it's less than 20. I've known Jesus for 40 plus years and it's less than 20. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to raise this congregation up to 150 fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. I also look around and I realize as I was reflecting and sharing with somebody, we have represented in our congregation just about every generation. So it's not like we have holes to fill. But the reality is, folks, unless one of you gets out of your comfort zone and becomes the witness you're called to be, the gospel's not going to be advancing in two rivers. It's not. Because I have to tell them. I'm paid to do it. They won't listen to me. I mean, I'm trying, and I am, I am trying to share with people. But if their best neighbor, best friend comes up and says, you won't believe what God did last week. There were three people flying from Anchorage. And their plane had malfunctioned and they tried to land in a grass field that was covered with snow and the plane flipped over and they were out in sub-zero weather for over 24 hours and they didn't have a flight plan filed and the FAA had sent the searchers in the wrong direction but God in his mercy not only saved these people physically but there was nothing wrong with them when they got found. That's amazing to me. And if you just share that you are a witness of the mercy and grace and love of God the Father for his people. But we are so afraid. Afraid of rejection. Afraid that they won't listen. I don't know what we're afraid of, but I know that the enemy's got us stymied. And this is where most Christians fall down. We got the intimacy part. And we got the grace part. But we struggle when it comes to opening our mouth and sharing the truth with others. It goes back to what I said a few weeks back about opening up your backpack and letting the light shine. It's not going to happen unless you're intentional. And as I said at the very beginning, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Oh, the Saddleback story. What did that have to do with anything? That's grace. That's grace. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to um, fix those things. There was nothing wrong with them. They, they were fully functioning. 
But because it caused me distress, it caused me pain, in their love for me, their customer, they extended grace to me at cost to them so that I could have a good experience. That alone is a way for you to testify about the grace of Jesus Christ. Find a way that you can link something that's real to them with the mystical understanding of the, gift, the, the grace of Jesus. It doesn't have to be theological. It doesn't have to be deep and rich and profound. You can just simply say, this company changed out the pastor's clips on his strap just because they wanted to and they wanted to make a good customer and they wanted to let him know that they loved and cared about him. And that's what God does when he does it for us. He gives us grace. We don't deserve it. There was nothing in the contract that said we should get it. But God just extends it out of mercy and love and grace for us. And that's witnessing. I've said it over and over and over again, and I'm not going to continue on because we're getting what time is getting away. But all you have to do is tell your story. But you have to tell your story with the punchline. Okay? It's not enough to just tell the story about how these people got saved from a plane crash. And it's not just enough to tell how a company was willing to make good on their 100-year warranty even when they didn't have to. But you have to do that last thing in the same way God. This proves God's existence. See, you've got to do that last hook. Or all you're doing is telling a good story. Let's pray.